Walmart agnostic. My experience was largely limited to a home, to an annual visit with our daughters, Elise, and our daughter, Elise, and son, Kaz, during spring break pilgrimage to a family house we used to have on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, a house that we lost to Katrina. The Walmart was old and dingy, but it was part of our cultural immersion. We'd pick up cheap paperbacks, sunscreen, some cheap beach toys that probably lasted about as long as the waves. Marvel at the odd tchotchkes and interesting offerings, and that was it. Now, I'd worked at the intersection of business and the environment long enough to know that nobody's all good or all bad. And after Hurricane Katrina, when the federal aid response was in chaotic disarray, hundreds of Walmart trucks, and some of you may remember the image of them, stopped on the roadside while FEMA wouldn't let them in. But eventually, they delivered diapers and bottled water and cleaning supplies and food, much of it simply given away to the people in need in coastal Louisiana and Mississippi. But the same company also had some early and awful labor practices, particularly at that point in time. They were really brutally in evidence. But when the world's largest customer started telling its suppliers to change things environmentally for the better, EDF had decided to help Walmart succeed, and that was when I was hired. Now, when you announce that you're going to work for an environmental advocacy organization and it's to work with Walmart, the reactions are immediate. People either said, you're going to work with Walmart, well, at least it's with EDF. The other half said, oh, my God, you're going to work with EDF? Well, at least it's with Walmart. (laughs) Elise, who was a sophomore then at Emory University, burst into tears. Those of you who know Elise know she's a theater major, not for nothing. (laughs) She informed me I could take the job in Arkansas, but Kaz would continue his schooling in Atlanta. He would have to move in with her. Bentonville actually has awesome public schools. Kaz simply said, where is Arkansas? We are coastal people, didn't register. But my husband, Don, blessed my career and physical move on the condition that I took everything in the Tacoma Park house that moved, which meant Kaz, the dog, two cats, and a lizard. And thus it began. Act two, the people of Walmart are nice. Walmart's global headquarters is as sprawling as as their super centers. 40-plus buildings, some 16,000 people, many with 15- or 20-year pins on their badges and who started as a store summer intern or part-timer. But the most lasting legacy of Walmart founder Sam Walton, who passed away in the 90s, is a simple question. How does this, and this can be anything, How does this help her? Now, my first weeks in Bentonville, Walmart's global home, I heard that phrase at almost every meeting I went to. How does this help her? Everybody said it. Everybody lives it. As it turned out, her refers to that quintessential Walmart customer, the mom on a tight budget trying to stretch the family funds from paycheck to paycheck. Think what you will about Walmart and its approach to paying its store associates, but everyone in corporate has this singular focus. Deliver for her on everyday low price, simply referred to as EDLP, by ensuring everyday low cost, EDLC. That's the mantra. EDLP, EDLC. Big plush offices, seas of cubicles. 
maybe 10 windows in all 40 buildings. The CEO has an aquarium. That's how you can tell his office. Support staff, everybody empties their own trash can. EDF's CEO has two assistants. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan shares one. Corporate dining room, it's a cafeteria with a subway, a soup and salad bar, a grill, a healthy station, and tables in long, very space-efficient rows. And you're just as likely to see Doug in there in line for a salad as the person you're meeting for lunch. What you hear is happy chatter. Walmart folk are as collegial in the best way possible. Early on, I spent one day a week at, the, at Walmart sharing an office with a Walmart buyer. Our offices are down the street, but for the first couple of years, I was on site one day a week. When I had my knee replaced, the Walmart folks were the ones who sent a card with five extension pages taped together so that everyone could send their handwritten wishes for my speedy recovery. The reason I'm still in Bentonville is the people I get to work with. They're committed, and they're some of the nicest, smartest, and most customer-driven people I've ever been around. They believe in what they do. They are eager to learn how to do it better. And the people I work with believe in what I do. And they are all nice people. Act three, go do When I first moved to Bentonville, one of the other externals working with Walmart on sustainability described the opportunity before me in these terms. Think of Walmart as a train. Your job is to grab on anywhere you can, work your way to the front of the train, and start steering. It's been an apt description of my life over the last seven years. In Walmart parlance, you start your day with a list of go-do's just as you end every meeting with a new set. Go-do people run at full tilt all the time. Changing their direction means running right along with them, learning as you go until you can see the path enough to get ahead of them and then let them follow your lead. EDF is concerned about the health and environmental effects of a lot of chemicals, ingredients in products. My first meeting at Walmart was about just that topic. That's when I learned the first lesson of retail. Timing is everything. Walmart has over 4,000 stores just in the U.S. For the buyers in Bentonville who decide what will be purchased or available for purchase at those 4,000 stores, there's a very limited number of windows to change what's available. Consumables are those things you buy in the grocery that you use up instead of eating. Things like baby lotion, shampoo, or spray cleaners. They're mixtures of chemicals. Once, maybe twice a year, a consumables buyer will reconsider the mix of products sold on the shelf. There's a big store mock-up in Bentonville, and every Walmart follows that mock-up, and twice a year they change it, maybe sometimes once a year. Now, if you want to change the formula of one of those chemical-based products, and it requires taking something out and putting something else in for that purpose. It's on average an 18- to 24-month process. I've seen it last three years, and they still can't make it work. For many buyers, that's about as long as they're actually a buyer in that category. It's a dynamic place, and you'll be a buyer for coffee cups for 18 to 36 months, and then you start selling sticks. So 
we learned that educating the buyer's bosses was just as important as educating the buyers because if they don't make it a go-do, the change is very unlikely to happen. Fortunately, the CEOs have generally made it a priority, which is why we've still got an office there seven years later. So early on, our portfolio was sprawling as we tried to find those handholds on that train where interest and timing aligned with the changes we were promoting, greenhouse gas reductions, to ocean health, to human health protection. We tackled zero waste, energy efficiency, sustainable seafood, wood and paper products, agriculture, clothing, solar panels, dairy products, towels, and chemicals. Always chemicals. Act four, Julie and her baby. Like many new moms, my friend Julie, mother of Vivi, realized that the everyday items in our day-to-day lives can have a dark side. And she knew that I worked on such things. So she wanted to know, how do I keep Vivi safe? I get these questions a lot, and my answers usually include the following. Read the label. Use as few products with as few ingredients as you can. Stay away from anything with fragrance. Look for products that say free of, paraben-free, phthalate-free. Rinse well both the baby and the things that touch the baby, and then breathe. It's going to be okay. Our challenge is that we live in a chemical soup. These products we use every day, these spray cleaners, these lotions, insecticide in the yard, nonstick pots, plasticware, have traditionally been built from poison. These poisons, known in my world as chemical feedstocks, are largely the leftovers from the conversion of of fossil fuels to petroleum products, gasoline and diesel, for example. Years ago, enterprising chemists and companies said, waste not, what not? What can we do with this noxious stuff? Well, the answer was many things, if you were careful. A dilute poison could clean your oven or your skin. And this was a step up from the pioneer days when the women leached lye from ashes, mixed it with hog fat to form a very effective cleaner. But lye is extremely caustic. Woe to she who mixed the ingredients in bad proportion. So modern chemistry moved all that risk behind a factory door. They gave us really pretty packages. They gave us sweet fragrances. They gave us affordable products, and they worked. They didn't take your skin off. But the chemist's job was to create new molecules and see what we could do with them. And now we know they also gave us chemicals that could do things to us. They gave us such things as carcinogens and endocrine disruptors. Carcinogens, cancer-causing agents, tend to follow the rule of the Renaissance physician Paracelsus. The dose makes the poison. Just a little, and the reward-risk ratio can be acceptable. Not poisonous enough. But endocrine disruptors are different. Endocrine disruptors are the chemicals that may interfere with the body's hormone system and produce adverse developmental, reproductive, neurological, and immune effects in both humans and wildlife. The problems come when endocrine disruptors are present in very tiny hormone-like amounts at precisely the wrong time. EPA has said that if studies underway on endocrine disruptors prove relevant and reliable for humans or environmental health assessments, it could mean concentrations of chemicals in the environment are of more concern than current testing and assessment approaches indicate. 
In other words, adverse effects could be missed under current chemical testing strategies by EPA and other regulators. The reason EDF considers chemicals part of environmental work is simple in our eyes. It's about molecular sustainability. Rachel Carson, the amazing conservationist whose book Silent Spring about DDT and other writings are is whose writings are credited with advancing the global environmental movement, once said, a who's who of pesticides is therefore of concern to all of us. If we are going to live so intimately with these chemicals, eating and drinking them, taking them into the very marrow of our bones, we had better know something about their nature and their power. Act 5, Grit. Angela Duckworth a MacArthur Fellow and University of Pennsylvania professor, says grit equips individuals to pursue especially challenging aims over years and even decades. Duckworth's research showed grit to be a better predictor of success than such things as IQ or talent alone or conscientiousness. On the other hand, Albert Einstein's been credited with defining insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I mentioned my first meeting at Walmart was about chemicals. I had not yet moved to Bentonville, so I flew in with several other folks from EDF and another partner company, DuPont, who was working with us on a precautionary policy around nanomaterials. When we arrived, we learned that Dr. Joan Minky Schenzer, I just love that name, Joan Minky Schenzer, Dr. Minky Schenzer, the technically trained health safety chemist we were supposed to be meeting with, was unavailable and that her colleague would join us instead. Well, the colleague was clueless about chemicals, so after confounding him for an hour, we just left the materials, our request for action, to be given to the good doctor, who we later learned was unavailable to meet with us because she was having her exit interview as she was leaving Walmart. Another hard-learned rule, people at Walmart move around a lot. In seven years, we've worked under three CEOs, four heads of sustainability, only one person with whom I've worked on chemicals is still in the same job. Grit? Insanity. As exemplified by the recent drinking water contamination episode in West Virginia, an extraordinary number of some 100,000 chemicals currently in use in commerce lack data on their health effects, especially for long-term exposure. Seven years ago, about the only thing you'd find in your house that even listed the ingredients were personal care products like cosmetics and things that are regulated by the FDA, and those containing biocides, which are only shared active ingredients. This is due to the singular utter failure in the U.S. regulatory reforms during the 70s when we got landmark environmental legislation except on chemicals. The Toxic Substance Control Act, or TSCA, has done anything but control toxic substances. Under TSCA, companies can legally hide their ingredients from everyone. EPA, which is tasked with enforcing TSCA, has to prove that disclosing ingredients won't do commercial harm to the company. It is not unusual to find out that the proprietary chemicals not disclosed are things like water. So within a year of opening, we have a very active political group, lobbying group that works on TSCA reform. But my job is to set the stage and prove that disclosure is beneficial. 
So within a year or so of opening our office in Arkansas, we advocated for and ultimately I co-led the effort to develop a screening tool for chemical ingredients so Walmart could know what products actually contained carcinogens or mutagens or endocrine disruptors or persistent bioaccumulators or other hazards. It took us two years. We had some 40 companies working with us, two or three NGOs. When we ran some 100,000 products through the screen, it turned out that the number of products with chemicals of concern was one out of three. At that point in 2009, I developed a document that proposed a goal of 90% reduction in hazardous ingredients for products on Walmart's shelf and described the key steps to achieving such a goal. Because of Walmart's power in the marketplace, if Walmart changed, it would change Target and Kroger and most others. I shared that document every chance I got for three years. I'd get traction in one area, lose it in another as staff changed or the economy softened. One leading executive termed sustainability a distraction around 2010. And sustainability priorities evolved. And then one day, the window for change opened. Act 5, now. The chemical screening tool we'd helped Walmart develop and use has always had the capacity to tell us what the chemicals were in the products on Walmart's shelf, to tell us how much of chemical X is going out the door in aggregate. We couldn't know it product by product. That was protected, proprietary, but we could know how much. But every time I asked, I was told no. No, it's, we have non-disclosure agreements. No, there's a reason. No, we can't get it. And then one day when I asked yet again, why can't we get the data, the answer was yes, you can have the data. So my 90% reduction proposal became a roadmap forward across three different divisions within Walmart. Get one going, get the other one going. As well as a solicitation that led to a $3.5 million gift from a donor. The funds allowed EDF to hire some of the best environmental toxicologists and chemists, who in turn helped us identify a list of the 20 hazardous ingredients we felt most worth eliminating from home and personal care products, which is where Walmart was going to focus. Have you ever seen one of those stage acts? I know if you're my age, you did. But there's a juggler, and he sets up plates, and they're spinning on sticks, and he just keeps setting them up, and then he runs like crazy, dashing because the plates will flip and wobble. That was my life from the middle of 2012 until September 12, 2013. The one that was stable and suddenly the plate just leaps off and shatters. I had a few of those. Most of it was wobbles. On September 12, in 2013, Walmart announced its new sustainable chemistry policy for home and personal care products, calling not only for the phase-out of a subset of the priority chemicals that we had identified, but most importantly, a requirement that they be replaced with something proven to be better, a first for anybody in retail. The policy calls for all ingredients in affected categories to be disclosed online by the end of this year. So come 2015, any product sold will have its ingredients available online by product. And it committed Walmart's private label products, the great value and other products that they sell themselves, to go through the DFE program, a Design for Environment at EPA, which is a highly structured program that will only allow the label to be granted if every chemical in the product has been found to be the safest available option. So they set their own bar much higher than just starting 
with a small number of chemicals to be removed in the other products on the shelf. It took us seven years to get to the starting line for change. My epilogue. Already a number of major consumer goods companies, Procter & Gamble, J&J, and Colgate, Palmolive among them, have publicly announced their own phase-out of problematic ingredients. Target has adopted its version of a sustainable chemicals policy, as have Staples, Walgreens, and CVS, among others. My next venture, sustainable food, from field to fork and food additives. The EDF-Walmart partnership has a powerful shared agenda for change, fueled by consumer interest and advocacy drumbeats. Sign up at edf.org if you'd like to add your voice. The real change in Tosca, the first real change in Tosca since 1976, seems possible. Add your voice. Because the season of change is finally now. Thank you.